Hello and welcome to The Last Standy, a board game podcast coming to you from three thrilling countries across Europe. I'm joined here today by Alessio. Hello. You might want to say that again. Uh, hello again. Yep, got you that time. And Kara. Hey. With your host, Fen. And today we're going to be talking about, well, three very different games. Um, and uh, that should be pretty interesting. Uh, before we get into that, though, uh, it's time for the ever-present catch-up. So what's been up with you, Kara? Um, well, uh, a lot, actually. Um, I'm currently uh, taking off some time from work due to burnout. The whole corona episode was kind of stressful. Um, using the time right now to, um, you know, just... just uh, get rid of old stuff and looking through boxes I had sitting around, you know, all the stuff I never had time to get to. Um, and also play some games again. Uh, yeah, so um, that's something. Um, and actually one thing I noticed when, when last week when I played um, Dungeon Drop was how difficult it can sometimes be with expansions because um like if you have an expansion that's not simple okay yeah this time i play with it and this time i play not with it because you have to you know swap out components and uh, and stuff um it, it becomes quite hard and i actually had the expansions included in the game but then when I played with friends, I thought, well, it's the first time and I don't want to explain too many uh, special rules. So we just play the core game and we started and we stumbled over some expansion content all the time and had to house rule a lot of stuff uh, spontaneously to, to make it work somehow. And that's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that happens with us ruling everything. <laughs> Yeah, there's a definite issue with there's like you play a lot of games and you you get the expansion and sometimes you can just play those expansions regardless and people will pick up with it no problem. Uh, but the ones that add complexity can be a nightmare. I've been constructing starter decks for Arkham Horror and that's like involved stripping a lot back and even drafting up a whole these are these are the cards you're going to want as you level up through the stories to keep these decks working and then you can do your own thing with your own deck after you understand why we're doing what we're doing um <laughs> so that's uh it's always fun yeah yeah expansions i mean i like expansions don't get me wrong i it's do just, i think i've as you said, either it's expansions that fit in nicely and it's not a lot more to learn, or you can use them modu modularly, like just take them out or put them in however and whenever you want. Yeah, I, I would say like um, one of my favorite expansions is the ketchup me mechanism for Food Chain Mangate, but that's something you kind of play with only once you've played the base game a fair bit yeah uh, or uh, to, to just switch things up and change it because eventually you may stabilize on a meta and uh, but i would never play food chain mangate with um like expansions with people i haven't played before and also like it's quite tough to play with people who've played less than you because that game rewards repeated plays but yeah it's um 
it's interesting. I was looking at the shelf of games that stays down here, and I was like, how many of these have an expansion that I would just leave in? And I think Canvas is one. That's not too hard for people to get to grips with. Some of the cards you can use the back, and that's more or less what they need to understand with it. Yeah, cam Canvas is basically the same game with another mechanic and a better way of scoring points. Yeah. Uh... Res Arcana goes the same uh, mm. with both expansions. It only gets better and it's just integrated. Yeah, well, the thing is, is that's that has something that a lot of Tom LeMans designs have, which is what I was thinking with Race for the Galaxy, is yeah, you just kind of get used to everything being stuck in there, but for <laughs> a new player, if I was going to teach Race, I'm going to strip it back down to the original deck. Yeah. Because it, because even though I'm like, oh, don't worry about anything that says Takeover and ignore anything that says Prestige, that's still too much because there's just noise on the card they're looking at and going, well, hang on, what's this purple symbol mean again? Or How do I take over something? It's like, remember, we're not doing Takeover, so... <laughs> I strip it back to the beginning and say, this is the starting deck. Just remember, green planet's good, but blue planet's and brown planet's better. It, that, that's it. And maybe you can do well with some military, but you're probably not going to win if you do that. Yeah. I, and off we go. I, I think that, that uh, selecting expansions for uh, Race for the Galaxy is a minigame per se. I think that I never had the first game of someone with Alien Artifact in. Um. I, I have a whole separate box for Alien Artifact, as in I have a co I've se second copy of Race for the Galaxy that holds <laughs> Alien Artifact. Because, it, you know, you're supposed to strip the whole game back and then re-expand with Alien Artifact, and I'm just like, well, it's, it's just a new game. So I did that, and then we never play it. We just play the original trilogy, quadrology. It's three sequels, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, expansions. <laughs> that's, a, that's a thing. I'm going to be talking about some expansions today, which would be fun. Um, I've I, well some I've chopped a lot off just to not talk about, um, but yeah we lionized this. Uh, Alessio, what have you been up to? Oh well, uh, I have to say this uh, this couple of weeks I've just been watching the world burn. I I, I think I had a look at the feedback uh, actually people lashing out and Marvel zombie side. Uh, by come on. I was going to bring that up to talk about if we didn't talk about it here. <laughs> yeah. Then, then I, I had a look at uh, Oddsworn ports uh, in which actually the uh, they did uh, they did that good because uh, uh, Oddsworn two needed uh, a bit more uh, to, to overcharge shipping basically, but they did uh, pretty better. Uh, by absorbing a part of the cost and then asking politely in exchange for a forever discount uh, to people. It... Not only that, but when I went there to see like what the time frame was, they'd already addressed in the comments and said, hey, we're going to have it open for about five weeks. And I was like, brilliant, for more than a month. So that covers everybody's paydays. So if somebody's like, what the heck, you know, I've budgeted for this month already, I can't do this, then yeah, they, you can, which is great. Yeah, they, they did everything fairly well so uh, it's a thing that while unpleasant uh, it can be done i, I think by, by by just here say that uh, that a lot of people are tipping more so it's likely that uh, they won't even be be down those 100k they anticipated so who knows anyway that's that's a lot of uh, of worrying news about shipping uh, these weeks, and I, I was looking into them. 
So this is my week. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I was going to say, like, the some people have been reporting $600 in shipping for their <laughs> Marvel zombie stuff. I had um, a experience myself with uh, um, Chronicles of Droga. Um, I can't remember the name fully now, but the dungeon crawler that I backed because uh, one of... One of my members of the community was like, this is really good. And I was, I had the finance at the time from my budget that I set for, we're going to kickstart stuff this year. And I was great. And then they wanted $350, $400 extra. Wow. And I was like, no, I, that's, I, I only put up like $600. So what are you, well, how do you think that's reasonable? Find out they're an American company. They don't quote VAT in advance. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. What are you doing? This is on GameFound. It's a European platform. Ah, um, eventually, I got most of my money back. They should have refunded the whole thing, but I wasn't going to fight them over the portion that they said they're not going to refund because it's too much hassle for like $50 or whatever it was. I mean, it's $50 I don't have anymore, but I guess I take that as the price of giving it a go. And... And they'd be like, no. It's a bit of a contrast compared to my experiences with Doomtown, where I had a heck of a time, and then they went, hey, it's just going to be $50 shipping. And I was like, wow, yes, fine, fine. I don't need a refund. That's okay. I, I see shipping costs have gone up. The, the bad one was this week, um, I just paid my shipping for Chai, uh, Tea for Two, which uh, is a lovely little two-player game. Uh, I really like it. It only costs forty dollars, and shipping has cost me thirty dollars. There's a board, there's a board game for everything anyway. Chai, a game about tea. <laughs> yeah. About tea, shipping tea. Yeah, it's it's a love lovely game, lovely little two player game. And I was like, you know what, it's cheap, and I don't mind supporting that. And then the shipping costs spiraled, and here we are. Yep. What about you, fan? Um, I've mostly been catching up on my Arkham Horror. Uh, getting that sorted out because I've got guests coming next month and uh, we want to play some Arkham. So I've been tuning starting decks and that's involved a lot of like research and annoyance because the old way that they distributed the Arkham cards was terrible. I'll probably talk about it later this year and talk about Arkham the card game. I will say just as a short thing right now I think it's the best time to get into the game because the new distribution is much better than the old like yeah they're, they're, they're doing a great job even with war of the ring is the other game from ffg oh, i played war of the, the ring ages ago war of the ring sorry um no the lords of the rings the card game okay lots um, of the that, ring yeah <laughs> yeah yeah the, the, and that i was exhausting because the only way to win some of the scenarios was to build endlessly self-recycling decks and I was like, I'm not here to shuffle all of my deck back in for the fifth time <laughs> uh, just to replenish my reserves so I can make it through the second scenario in this campaign story. Yeah, get rid of that stuff. Um, yeah. But uh, War of the Ring I played. I didn't like it. Oh, uh, I like the, the, the Knizia version of the confrontation. It's uh, quick. It's easy. It's great. Oh, um, that's the one that's a bit like Stratego, isn't it? Where you've got like hidden information on the back of your yeah um, pieces. Yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. Stratego, kind of with addition of some word, version of it. The movement, it's it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, 
Um, I like the one where you play as the hobbits because I can be Fatty Bolger, who's the hero of the whole tale. My favourite hobbit. He, he, he did the terrifying thing of staying home and pretending to be Frodo. Like, that took some stones. And no worries, you guys can run and hide from the ring race. I'm going to face them as the person that they think they think I'm you. Uh, okay, great. So I thought he had a hard job, even though he sat on his ass the whole time. Plus, he's orange in the game. We, we touched a few topics in this sketch-up. Mm. <laughs> yeah, just a few, just a few. Um... Apart from that, it's been finishing touches on the guest house, which I've talked about before, so I won't get into it. And the joyous fun of I still can't play Final Girl, which... Uh, so uh, I ordered my Kickstarter through the local gaming store rather than direct, because that turns out to be just better for me on the shipping costs, i.e. I don't have any shipping costs, because the value is enough that they ship it from the mainland to me. For no cost so i just have to wait a bit it's how i got sleeping gods it's how i got nemesis um and it means i don't have to pay attention to kickstarters as closely but every once in a while things go a bit wobbly and what's happened here is they've received the final girl core game um and they've shipped that to me uh, and that happened like last month or the month before and it turns out you can't do anything with the core game. It's the rules, but you always need a feature box to play, which strikes me as the, the one of the dumbest pieces of distribution I've ever heard of. Why is it not packaged with a feature box as standard? One feature box. Yeah. That, you know. So, like, if you think about it for people at retail, this is going to be sitting on the shelf, and some people are going to come in and go, I want to get Final Girl, and they'll pick up the core box and get told, oh, sorry, there's no feature boxes they can't play. Or, there's no core boxes, so the feature boxes are no use. It's almost always going to be at retail. You're going to end up with some dead stock if you're stocking this. I just, no. But, just to make it a little better, I, I was told, oh, we're going to put in with your new order for this month um, because I ordered a few Arkham cards to, like, support a deck that I wanted to build. Uh, and uh, they're like, oh, we can send you some of your final girl. Not all of it's here, but a bit more. And I was like, great. I now own two copies of the core game. I need to sort out <laughs> somehow sending it back because somewhere their wires got crossed because it's so confusing. Uh, it's still in the cellophane wrap, but I'm like, I don't know what to do because it would cost me like about 20 euros to send it back to the mainland. So I'm still waiting for them to tell me what they, what they want me to do with it. Yeah, I don't know. So, um, Eventually, I'll be talking about Final Girl when I actually get to play it. Um, and, uh, I, uh, you know, my points here about the distribution method and this is just, yeah, uh, if you're going to get it, like, just, just make sure you buy a couple of feature boxes in advance and keep a track of what you're supposed to have because it's confusing and silly and... Yeah, if you think about Unsettled, uh, it works the same way, but you have a couple of planets in the core game. Yeah, it just makes sense. You want to be able to buy one box off the shelf and take it home and be, yes, I can play with this. And and then you can come back and get a few more expansions. And, you know, like Unsettled is really well done with just the exception of I now don't know where to keep all the extra expansion boxes because you can only put two in the main box and the rest are really odd shapes. I haven't found a a good place 
that looks nice to store them yet. And the great thing is with the second Kickstarter, there are two additional expansion boxes that don't feature new planets that have a different size. Again. Whoa, I, I backed. I wasn't paying too much attention. I did not know we were getting more odd-shaped boxes. Yes, two more. <laughs> this, is get, this is getting as bad as too many bones, but at least they released a, like, Calyx-fitting chest to put everything in. Well, yeah. just, just wait, give them time. I mean, uh, for vindication, they did release, uh, or, or not yet release, but they do create this big box for everything. Wouldn't surprise me if at some point they did the same for Unsettled. Yeah, I hope so. I'm still waiting for, for Vindication. I think I backed on the reprint. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, mm. No news yeah, for quite game. some time now. It has been very quiet, yeah. And uh, I think the last thing is that Margot, Margot and um, Root arrived. Yeah. And I got everything to fit inside my Laser Ox wooden chest with all trays uh, you'll be very careful when you lift the lid off because one of the trays just sits in the, in the space where the lid is, which originally held the boards. And then I have all the boards in another box. So uh, I've got root to fit into every into one thing. Uh, I would prefer them to make a big coffin box themselves, but I know they're kind of against that. Yeah, uh, actually, I think that Patrick Leather promised us with the next Kickstarter, which should be the last two factions for root to to make a big box fitting everything i'm kind of i'm kind of waiting on that because i am overwhelmed by root boxes <laughs> yes yeah. yes it's it's like the classic problem with microtransaction video games except they're root boxes yeah exactly the box yeah i would buy the box expansions with uh, which will which would only feature a box yeah if they do a nice all-in-one box and i mean let's face it they have to cap the number of factions they're putting into root because the interactions you have to test are just crazy. Yeah. Uh, now, especially given how clearly heavy-handed the marauders are, the rats are in respect to trying to deal with the vagabond problem by actually interfacing with items and you know, like. Yeah. Just, just, just get rid of vagabonds entirely. Put them. They're in the role-playing game. You don't need them in the board game. No, uh, actually, with advanced with, with advanced setup and hirelings, uh, uh, you can make and the landmarks. You you can uh, the, the 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 amount of choice you have is staggering. I think I I can play every future future game of root I play could be completely different from one another. I think. I think there's enough enough variety for how much alive. I know. I, I was amazed they even added rules for playing with the ferry on <laughs> maps that aren't just the lake, which is like, okay, cool. I mean, fine. I've yeah. already got to that. <laughs> so, so great. Now the uh, now the otters have to compete with the bloody ferry on every map. Brilliant. <laughs> I guess I guess river boats is remaining at one whenever I play as the otter company from now on because. Uh, <laughs> yeah. nobody wants to use them anyway most of the time yeah okay uh, i think that's enough and we should get onto our main talk picks uh so we're going to look at the look at a board game interpretation of a classic story so alessio tell us all about jekyll and hyde oh yeah uh actually i'll talk about the board game interpretation of the classic story uh, <laughs> anyway jekyll versus hyde is a two-player trick-taking card game uh is 
designed by Guillaume Hill, I hope uh, to pronounce him right. The art is by Vincent Dutre and is, pub is published by Mandu Games. Okay, uh, these are the coordinates. Now, in this game, you are two players playing. One player plays as Dr. Jekyll, while another player is Mr. Hyde. The entire confrontation is in the head of Dr. Jekyll. There is uh, one central track, track in the center of the table with 11 spaces which go from Jekyll to Hyde. And uh, you have an initial marker called uh, the identity marker which is a pretty cool metal bust of Dr. Jekyll, which is placed in the track all the way to the Jekyll side. Now, if... Does, do, yeah. Hang on, does the bust have, like, two faces, one on either side? Uh, no, no, <laughs> unfortunately oh, no. no. They, they missed a trick there. Yeah, okay. yeah, that, 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 that was a missed opportunity. Anyway, he, uh, the players move this marker, tag of war style, but uh, it is only Hyde who does the, pull, the pulling. Actually, Jekyll can only resist being pulled. So, if or when the identity marker gets to the last position in the track, all the way to Hyde, the Hyde player wins. Conversely, if Jekyll can resist three turns, Jekyll wins. This is the basic of the game. How do you move the identity marker? You play a trick-taking turn with a hand of ten cards. Uh, now, I won't explain the basics of trick-taking because it's pretty plain. You have three suits with uh, various ranks, you aren't forced to follow suit, and uh, the highest rank of the highest suit wins the trick. Now, uh, there is a twist here, and it's pretty smart, and it's actually all that makes this game good to me. At the end of the turn, when, when all tricks uh, have been won by someone, you count the tricks which were won by each player and move the marker a, num a number of places equal to the absolute difference between the players. So, if for, for instance, if Hyde uh, scored 7 tricks and uh, Jekyll scored 3 tricks, the difference is 4, you move the marker 4 tracks. Since there are 11 spaces, and uh, you have only and you have three turns to play, that is pretty bad. <laughs> so uh, basically, this is the asymmetry in the game because Jekyll wants to achieve maximum balance. The ideal play for Jekyll will be five and five tricks taken by Jekyll and Hyde, while Hyde works to make the complete disruption of this in one way or the other. If uh, Hyde loses, all uh, tricks or wins all tricks it's still moving 10 spaces towards Hyde so uh, that's basically it that's uh, the coolest part of the game and that and that's what makes it interesting now uh, there are a few other things to know when playing like uh, there's uh, the fact that the various suits uh, have no fixed hierarchy but their power is decided by the order of play uh, the, every, every turn is uh, started by Jekyll and Jekyll can play a color the colors are green, red and purple each representing a scene uh, if I remember correctly red is uh, anger uh, and green is envy and purple is avarice or something like that because I got the Italian version 
Um, well, they seem to have the symbols on them appear to be an angry bear, a snake, and a wolf head. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And uh, and that's it. And uh, uh, when uh, when you play the first trick, that is the least powerful trick. Then uh, the second trick played is the middle one, and the last uh, trick uh, appearing is the most powerful. That way, uh, there is control even in the order of trick taking because I'd could make something like sacrifice a move uh, in order to get another trick he has plenty of uh, more powerful, for instance. And Jekyll can counteract this because if uh, uh, Hyde goes that way, uh, it could happen that you can insist on playing that trick even to a detriment to you because you don't really want, uh, for instance, Red to be the most powerful that uh, turn. So there's actually, uh, this is a small decision which makes a lot of difference in the game. And the second, the second thing is that there are not exactly trump cards, but there are potions which are colorless and you decide the color when you play them. And they look like custard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, you get uh, these potions and depending on the color of the potion which, is get, which uh, uh, has been played, uh, you activate an effect. Uh, the winner of the trick activates an effect. The potions all have uh, value. They cannot uh, have the highest value ever, but you can give them. Uh, you can declare them as a color for the purpose of winning the trick. Uh, the potions can do basically anything. Uh, you can steal two t two tricks, uh, one by the other player. You can force an exchange of a, a kind of the initial draft of the cards, or you can just uh, remix all the all the colors of the suits and have them uh, rebalance it again against the next play. So basically, uh, you got the idea. The idea. This is the. This is a twenty-minute game between two players. It's extremely tense because you are never sure of if you are winning, even if you are executing your plan perfectly. It's fast-paced and has compelling decisions, which can be countered at every step. It plays fast, and you always want to play once more. <laughs> now. I, I really like this game. I, I just want to say that it is rare to see a game uh, in which every move counts. Uh, it's not like you play perfectly, but in the end uh, your lucky opponent wins. The opponent has to put effort in trying to beat your strategy. They always have the chance of doing something to disrupt you. And the asymmetry makes that always not uh, banal, not evident. Uh, it's very interesting. And uh, I, I have to say, as a fan of mechanics, uh, that's pretty smart as a trick-taking game. <laughs> now, the... Speaking of other stuff, the, the, the artwork is by Vincent Dutre, which is basically saying uh, it's beautiful. It's a gorgeous game with beautiful art. Uh, the, the metal bust is... Uh, is uh, I wouldn't believe it's heavy. It's a nice old metal bust. It's, it's great. 
you could say that uh, the game is extremely light on components maybe because it only has this deck of cards, the track with three cardboard tokens and this metal bust and it costs like 15 to 25 euros depending on the deal you get so you can object it's expensive but it's not absolutely expensive so it's uh, kind of uh, it's a good expense I'd say uh, I could also say that uh, playing as Jekyll is way more difficult as playing uh, than playing as Hyde so actually it could happen that if you get repeated uh, Jekyll plays and your opponent is somewhat competent you would end up being frustrated so I, I suggest to play, to play a round of one player plays Jekyll, the other player plays Jekyll next turn and only if one win, wins both games uh, uh, can be the winner <laughs> because otherwise uh, some people, especially the most competitive ones, get frustrated. This has one downside I observated, which is uh, if I play Jekyll denied, then Jekyll denied, then Jekyll denied, I never happen to perform well because I keep switching my attitude towards towards card so these are these are downsides but it's fun uh, one, one other important thing to know it's longevity this game is uh, has the same longevity as your generic trick taking card game so uh, you get it you play it for uh, 10 12 20 games uh, one after another because it's pretty fast then you shelf it uh, you shelf it for a month and forget about it until the time you you get it back again and you still begin playing a lot of games because that it's so cool so that's basically it in a nutshell <laughs> i don't know if you have any questions or observation or something uh, Basically, I like a lot this game. It's smart, and that's the kind of mechanic which works. Well, I had one observation, which is it seems almost inevitable someone's going to retheme this as Banner versus Hulk. <laughs> and secondly, um, it is it is it a tug of war so much, or is it like a resistance versus being pulled? situation yeah it's more a resistance uh, versus being pulled actually i use tug of war because uh, uh, the term in italian uh, uh, tiro la fune which is the actual game of tug of war can be used both to meaning you just drag and someone resists or both drag it's the same it's the same game with two variants of rules so i use the same term but it's resistance oh. yeah Right, right, yeah. Okay, I got it. So it's a bit like how I think it's in German that snails and slugs have the same name? Snails and slugs? Oh yeah, uh, actually kind of in Italian too. They are called lumache, uh, we call the, the snails uh, chiocciole, but it's kind of same stuff, yeah. <laughs> hmm, hmm. Yeah. Um, so, given this, uh, if I already own Royal Visit... And I'm not super hot on trick-taking games. Um, should I? Should I? Is there anything that's going to hook me on this? Because like Royal Visit is my preferred tug of war style two-player game. Oh, uh, actually, if you are, uh, I am not that fond of of uh, trick-taking games myself. 
the thing that could uh, draw you to this game could be the the initial phase of drafting, which is you are dealt uh, cards and you have to choose uh, two cards you have to give to your opponent and uh, your opponent does the same, which is a pretty psychological moment, especially because if you have uh, two potions or more, you are forced to include a potions to give to your opponent. So since uh, if you are the Jekyll player, you have to plan everything ahead, uh, this could be quite uh, disrupting and could be a big mind game. So that could be a draw uh, to the game for someone not liking exactly the trick tech in general. I have to say that uh, the combination of mechanics makes for uh, very active, very fast games. And, oh, okay, that's the other thing I, I love about this, the counters. You, you you can counter any move at any moment you have always to be on your toes because uh, the first move you play wrong the opponent can take advantage of it so that's it possibly mm, fair enough I, I didn't play royal visit so i don't know what is exactly the draw you have uh, to that <laughs> mm, mm. Oh, well that, that's a very intricate and delicate game surprisingly uh, for what it is, so yeah. Oh, oh. I, I, I can say that if I have to, to say, to, to pay two compliments to this game, I have that, I have to say that the first is that I, I couldn't really be bothered with uh, trick-taking games. I think the first game I played a lot was The Crew, and it was cool, but in the end it was uh, still a plain trick-taking game. And this one, because of the counters, because of the of the of the tactics, uh, the mind games you play and everything, uh, this one uh, gets played a lot again. the The only other game so far that uh, catched my interest uh, so much with uh, trick taking mechanism was Brian Boru, which is completely different as a board and stuff. Uh, and these are the only two games which make which made trick-taking a viable uh, mechanism for me. So this is one compliment I can pay to this game. The other compliment is that uh, my wife l likes this game over Lost Cities. I think that my wife uh, only plays short games, uh, uh, pretty easy to catch, uh, possibly with a way of retort because uh, she likes uh, uh, she, li she likes Catroth games. Uh, but... Uh, She's into Lost Cities because uh, it's fast, it's simple, it has uh, some kind of planning ahead. And uh, for a decade we played uh, Lost Cities. She wants to play uh, Jekyll vs. Hyde now. So I don't know if this will pass the test of time, because it's too early to say. But this is the, 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 the potential to be a classic. Oh. Mm, fair enough fair it enough. was too bold a claim <laughs> <laughs> well who knows i'm just looking at the front cover right now and there's this there's this very like smarmy looking yeah. blue man and then there's two guys clearly trying to poop down below yeah. on the left and right <laughs> there's a lot of struggling in the cover yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah i i that's i'm almost finding it a little confusing because it's like there seems to be a three-sided struggle going on here um, but I do like the um, the London skyline. It's very iconic and 
and and pretty. Yeah. And the um the Rorschach. That, that's uh, that's when Santotre anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Vincent Dutre's done like loads of games I like, mm-hmm. such as Detective and Robinson Crusoe and Treasure Island. So yeah. It's certainly going to look stylish. Yeah, that's illustrator royalty, basically. Yeah, yeah. well, um, speaking of stylish, then, uh, it's time to move on from the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen to the League of Dominating the Silver Screen non-stop. So Let's go Marvel! Yeah. <laughs> Marvel Champions and its first big box expansion, The Rise of the Red Skull, um, both of which have been out for a while now. Uh, but I've had a bit of a long journey with this, so... Marvel Champions is a game I picked up in 2020 and then put on the shelf. I just didn't click with it at all. I had like a kind of awful time. Um, I tried learning it and stopping and learning it and stopping. And I was like, maybe this just isn't for me, which was a bit weird because actually card games and boss battlers are kind of my thing. And this is both. Um, So eventually... I got back to it, uh, and the thing that brought me back to it actually was the release of Sinister Motives. Um, but I've mostly been journeying back through the core game and the very first expansion, The Rise of the Red Skull. So Marvel Champions is the it's the second game from Caleb Grace, who's the guy one of the guys behind Arkham Horror, the card game, and also to give them their credit, Michael Boggs and Nate French are the other two people who are credited as designers it is in all essence as pure a boss battler as you could imagine if you want to think of kingdom death and you want to think what the monster is the miniature represents two decks of cards one which acts the ai deck and one which reacts the hit location deck the mind and body and that essentially that's what you're fighting against but you get to you get to do traditional war game combat against two decks of cards this is you get to play a deck of cards versus a separate deck of cards and it's pretty pick as much as i said i struggled with it the problem was for me not the mechanics so much as the hook because the core game is just a collection of individual like fights against various characters and well it just didn't grab me because what I like about superhero stuff is the ongoing continuous stories. I mean, also not my favorite characters in the core box. Uh, you've got Captain Marvel, Iron Man, She-Hulk, and Black Panther, and uh, uh, and also Spider Man. And really, I only kind of care about Spider Man. Black Panther, I've come to appreciate a lot more with the movies, but he barely appeared in anything that I watched, like when I was young. And little, but Spider-Man was like all over the place. Um, none of these, though, are my favourite hero. There isn't even my favourite Spider-Man in this box, so whatever. Uh, you will pick up a deck. And one of the neat things about this is, unlike Arkham Horror, you can just grab these and the starter decks are good enough. I hate the Arkham starter decks. I just they, they put one of each card in for the most part, and it's just a mess. Because you need consistency in a card game. And the contrast here is you get multiple copies where uh, wherever it's appropriate. And, and half of your deck is always preset to the hero's set cards. The other half of it, you pick a aspect. And you get a little bit more choice. But you can literally pick up 
the decks that they recommend in the core game and just play and do quite well at the standard difficulty, which I think is neat. So you have your hero card, which has two sides. Love the concept of if you don't need to randomize a card, use both sides of it. In this case, you have the hero side, where they get to do their punching and thwarting and fighting and use all their cool abilities. And then their alter ego, where mechanically, most of the time, you switch to it to heal and to get to have a larger hand of cards. Uh, for example, Carol uh, Danvers has six cards for her hand size, but in Captain Marvel form, she only has five. Uh, cards vary. You've got events, which are like one-shot things. You play them, they do the thing. And you've got allies. You put them into play, and they can like also fight like mini heroes for you. Uh, and then they can also take a punch in the face, and then like kind of fall off into the discard pile out of the combat, maybe to come back a bit later. It's always quite funny when you're badly injured and you turn to like some poor sidekick. Uh, I, I don't know, let's, let's see. Who, who have we got in Carol's dick? A vision, yes. You turn to vision and you go, mm, could you take this laser beam to the face for me, vision? You're very tired and injured. You've only got one hit point left. So how about you take eight damage? Cheers. It's kind of like a bit weird. Um, and then you also have upgrades, which basically give you more powers, more functions and abilities. All the card mechanics are kind of standard in that you tap cards to do things. You call them exhausting, I think, in this. Tap, whatever. Um, and the neat part is how you pay for cards. You discard other cards from hand. Each card has a number in the top left corner that tells you how many resources you have to pay. Most cards are worth one resource. Uh, bottom left corner, you can check. They have a type. Usually, typing doesn't matter. There's uh, fists lightning and uh, science which is the blue one and then there's a green one which is wild sometimes the cards care about the specific type but not always um, and that's really cool because you're constantly cycling through your hand you're making lots of decisions you've got five cards you go okay well i'm going to play this i have to discard two cards i'll ditch those two i've got two cards left okay am i going to use these i'll use this one um, and then at the end of the turn you can be like am i going to keep this one or am I going to discard it? And then the villains get to have their turns. And they're pretty straightforward. And they have decent scaling. In that the villain will attack or scheme against every single player. Their hero. They attack if you're in hero form. They scheme if you're not. And when they scheme they advance their plan. So every villain has a card in play that has a plan on it. And it has a threshold based on the number of players. Um, say it could be three per player or it could be 12 per player it varies and then when if you reach that threshold then that part of their plan is completed and you have to do follow the instructions and go to the next stage of their plan which should be a card below sometimes the plan just says if they succeed at this they win the game so you've got to keep the threat off and that is where the real push and pull comes because you're thinking, well, I've got to punch this villain and deal damage to them to take them out. But I've also got to handle their scheme. If that gets out of control and gets too like big with too many threat numbers, I'm going to lose. But I'm badly injured. I need to recuperate. And I can only do that with my hero by switching to my alter ego and chilling out in my, in my flat because I'm Steve Rogers and his apartment is a card. You know. Um, and it, it's a nice little push and pull. 
The game plays well solo, it plays well two-player. Um, with three or four, it can get a bit chunky and slow. So I think it's best like as something you play with one other person, um, unless you're all quite experienced. But not all things are created equal. So I dislike fighting every single one of the villains in the core box. You've got Rhino, who's fine as an introductory um, like villain. He's trying to rob a bank or something, I think it is. He's just smashing face. Reasonable. Uh, there's, I think, Kang, who I played once and I was like, mm, and never bothered again. Um, and uh, is it Kang? No, sorry, it's Claw. Kang's in one of the expansions that I don't own. Yeah, there's Claw, which is eh, whatever. And Ultron, who was um, kind of fun to fight, but the trouble is this all lacked a sense of progress and like story and, and epicness. And I think that's what resulted in me putting it on the shelf for a while, even though I do quite like superhero stuff, especially I love superhero role-playing. And if you want to boff and punch face in a short period, this, this ticks the box. Um, so I left it for a bit and then along came the, the rise of the red skull. And this is one of their like larger box things. And what they do is they release a, a two new heroes and about five scenarios. And they're designed, they can be played all independently and you can chop and change them all around and change the elements as you wish. Or you could play through a campaign. And that's the moment where I was like, okay, this is, this is what I was looking for. This is cool. It also helped that my second favourite spider, Spider-Mon, is in... Rise of the Red Skull, and that's uh, Jessica Drew, a.k.a. Spider-Woman. Um, that was the first hook that got me to try it. But playing through it, it's really good. You have like a straightforward fight against, uh, I think it's Crossbones, um, the first guy. I'm going to double check now because I get Crossbones and Taskmaster mixed up very often. Uh, and they're both in the same campaign. Yeah, it's Crossbones. Yeah. So you, you fight you, you fight Crossbones and he's like a weapons-based dude and he, he even gets some experimental weapons mixed into his deck that they keep cropping up throughout the whole campaign. So whatever ones he steals, the other villains start using. Then after that, uh, Lady Hydra gets away. She's Jessica Drew's nemesis. I haven't talked about nemesis. They're really cool. I need to remember to talk about that briefly. Um... And Absorbing Man crops up and tries to delay you. And the more he delays you, it has an impact later in the campaign. So you need to take him out quickly. Uh, then you get back and, oh boy, everything's changed. And Taskmaster is like now the head of police. And the, the, the Avengers Tower is now the head of Centre of Hydra. And it's like, what the heck's going on? Uh, and you fight a really interesting fight where occasionally a prisoner will crop up. And they have a side scheme, like a separate plan. And if you clear it, all the threat off it by thwarting it, then you get an ally. And suddenly that ally's there with you for the rest of the campaign, which was like, oh, that's really cool. And then you fight um, Mr. Gorgonzola. That's uh, the computer guy. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally you'll have a last confrontation against the Red Skull. And it all builds up. You get a little bit of upgrading. You get your choice of like um, a one-shot ability for the, after the first scenario. You get a, uh, a basic static power in after the second one. 
then in the third one you might get some allies and interestingly the longer you stall that fight the more of the allies you can get so there's a little that scenario is tempting you of like hey look you, you could take a bit longer and get some more help for near the end of the campaign uh, but dragging it out runs your resources quite ragged so you have to balance that then when you beat zola you get to upgrade your basic power flip it over another side more powerful version super fun i i really liked it it's not the best campaign it really isn't but it's very good as your first campaign uh also i suppose i should just briefly say you get hawkeye in the box as well but i mean it's hawkeye hawkeye's a mediocre avenger i i like the series i enjoy it but on this big stage you know hawkeye's not my not my guy. Yeah, I, I, I was about to say that the series what uh, the, the the spotlight uh, where the moment to shine of okay, and it's a good Christmas story anyway. <laughs> it's a good Christmas story, but it was really um, undermined a bit for me by the sheer excitement of uh, a returning character from a series. Who yeah, they're devils. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and then of course the the second confirmation of the said ca another character returning in uh, Spider Man no and No Way Home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was all like that was fantastic. I was I really enjoyed No Way Home. By the way, for somebody who adores Spider Man. Um, I liked the way No Way Home capstoned off not just the current arc for Spider-Man, but both of the previous Spider-Man movies. Yeah. It tied it. All of them. It, it, how they managed to do it was fantastic. I don't know. But yeah. yeah, if we want to open this parenthesis, I have to say I like the Spider-Man, uh, No Way Home, but uh, Doctor Strange is just okay to me. Yeah. Okay, I, I won't say anything more because we could be we, we, we could get some uh, serious feedback if we spoil something now. So <laughs> well, <laughs> well, first of all, you probably should have seen it by now. Um, but secondly, we're not here to talk about movies, so we'll we'll move on. And uh, I'll mention Nemesis. So every superhero has in their deck an obligation, which is one card that's shuffled into the villain's deck. And when it crops up, it like it's it's like a, a thing that gets in the way, um, and you have to deal with it. Like I think Spider Man has trouble with making rent or something for his card, um, but also there's one standard card that's mixed into every single setup that triggers a nemesis to turn up. And what happens if you draw that card is whoever's drawn it for their encounter for the turn, boom, they have to get their specific nemesis, stick it down in front of them, and shuffle all of the other four cards to do with that nemesis's plot into the fight. So it's kind of a bit random spice of suddenly, oh dear, so-and-so's turned up and they're, they're now giving you what for. Um, and I, I really like that mechanic as just kind of adding a bit more variance and a bit more story into the whole thing. So that's good. Now, my main criticism is each of these small box expansions is almost playable out of the box but they give you no dials no tokens and most seriously of all they don't give you access to the standard box in any of the small ones so you're always forced to buy the main champion's box if you can't somehow get the missing cards on the secondary market you can replace the dials you can replace the tokens you can get the rules online but those seven cards that get mixed into every single deck they're missing and i i think that's kind of not a 
very customer friendly move. Um, on top of that, they have artwork of um, characters from the Marvel Champions Core Box and Rise of the Red Skull. But if you're playing like Guardians of the Galaxy, Galaxy's Most Wanted, why the heck does a card have Red Skull's face printed on it? it just, <laughs> they missed an opportunity to just put a standard deck into each of these larger boxes and just give someone, hey, I want the two-player standalone experience. I'll just get this instead of having to buy the big box and then get the expansion they care about. That's um, legit. I think that's my biggest complaint. My second largest complaint is their tray inside is plastic and they've not ridged the bottom. So if you've ever tried storing cards in a file system with a smooth plastic bottom, the cards fall all over the place and fall down flat. Uh, it's, it's very annoying. Like they just needed to ridge, ridge the bottom and add some texture to it. So didn't like that. Annoyed with it. The last thing, though, is I'm very quickly going to just tell you what I think is the best stuff to get. You have to get the Champions box. I would recommend considering getting uh, Red Skull Rising uh, as a, a, a introductory to the campaigns, um, because it's quite nice as a learning experience, and it's decent. But I think it's only the third best of the four campaigns they've released. So... Uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy so that's Galaxy's Most Wanted I think is the worst of the lot I actually had some very frustrating times playing it and not like ooh I'm looking forward to beating this challenge more like can we just get this over with this one is really not fun um, above that I would put Rise of the Red Skulls the third best and then I would put Sinister Motives as the second best the one problem with Sinister Motives is it it needs two heroes. You you could play the other campaigns with a single hero. You can solo, true solo play them. But Sinister Motives has some scaling in it that crushes you if you're just one hero. So you end up having to play two-handed. If you enjoy two-handed, it's really good. And it's got my favourite Spider-Man in it as well. A and my second favourite Spider-Man. So um, Sinister Motives gets a bit of a thumbs up. But the best one is the Mad Titan Shadow, which is where you go up against Thanos. And it's fantastic. It's really, really, really good. It's got Spectrum and Adam Warlock in it. Um, who They're not big characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe yet, but Spectrum has appeared pre her gaining her Spectrum powers. And Adam Warlock's had some Easter eggs, so they're, they're, they're interesting characters. That's the main like recommendation is Mad Titan's Shadow is really good and it's that whole infinity gauntlet type feel of things which is super cool the other one is if you're looking just for good powerful heroes my personal top picks are uh spectrum i think it's pretty decent uh spider woman's very good gamora is the only guardian of the galaxy who i enjoy playing um Miles Morales is my second favourite Spider-Man, and he's pretty good. And in the core box, Captain Marvel is a very good hero. But, like, the four who, who I would say are my favourites, and I think are the most powerful, are Captain America, Venom, Ghost Spider, who's my favourite Spider-Man. That's Gwen Stacy from Earth-65, I think. 
is the number. Um, and she's in Sinister Motives along with Miles Morales. Um, I love how she plays. Like, once I finally started playing with her, I was like, this is my jam. She she has a style of, like, she defends and then uh, defends and attacks and, like, retaliates. Um, so she's very reactively orientated rather than direct offence or direct defence. Um, but... Uh, if you want to be on another level and just have an absolute powerhouse hero, um, do you want to take a quick stab at who might be the best hero in the game? You did mention his movie earlier. I don't know the heroes. Uh... Doctor Strange. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. Doctor, yeah. <laughs> Doctor Strange is the, like, he's on another level powerful. He's a separate pack to buy. It's really fun to play as him. Uh, especially if you're struggling, and he's a good launching platform to go up into the higher difficulties. But uh, yeah, he's he's really powerful. On the other end of the spectrum, Hulk bad, <laughs> Hulk real bad, which is a shame. So spe spellcaster still the show once again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 very much. Um, that's it. That's Marvel Champions. Uh, I'll probably touch back on this in a few years when some more stuff has come out. Uh, but it's a really enjoyable, good boss battler. I just wish it was a little bit more customer-friendly on getting into it, um, that you didn't have to shell out for this box that might contain five heroes you don't care about and a bunch of scenarios you never play, just to get seven cards you're going to put into another deck and a load of tokens. But, you know, it could be worse. It could have been the original Arkham Horror distribution method. <laughs> Okay, we got this. We cleared this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, have you played it much, Lesio? Oh no, no. Uh, if you mean uh, Marvel Champions, not not at all. If you play, if you mean uh, original Arkham Horror, I mean, yes. I mean Marvel Champions. Yeah, uh, yeah we'll, no. We'll no. talk about we'll talk about Arkham Horror sometime in the future. Yeah, um, I, I will probably yeah. be of better company there. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. But anyway, that's that's fine. But if you did enjoy Arkham Horror, uh, this is a more fighty version. I think I like Arkham Horror's unveiling of the story and moving around and the way it uses the cards as a board to explore. Um, but as a boss battler goes, I think Marvel Champions is definitely one of the really good ones. Primal's got its work cut out if he wants to be better than this. Well, yeah, uh, I can bring home from this that uh, it's a boss battler and I should actually play a campaign because it's a lot better. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Let's get our ropes up for Primal anyway. We'll see when it ships. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll see. Uh, right, so finally, to cap off this episode, it's Kara's Tocket, which is going to be an intricate, electrifying thread of a game. Take it away, Kara. Okay, um, yeah, I'm talking about Stormweavers, a solo tabletop game by Pavel, Eastern European name with too many consonants. Um, I'm very sorry. Let's... <laughs> Let, let's let's have a bit of fun and all try and pronounce that. Zimski. Zimski. Zimski, yes. That's where I'd land. Yeah. Okay. So s somebody go get Martin on the phone and ask him. <laughs> so, um, b b before I continue, I have to say I kind of like it, but I have a lot of things I don't like about the game. <laughs> Great. Review done. So, let's um, go home. 
That's that's not how you do the review, Lassio. You, you start off talking about it, praising it, and then you do the mid-review turnaround and go, but... So, yes, and we need to stop this. I want to hear about this game because I'm looking at it and I'm seeing this pink worm and I'm excited. I want to hear what's good and what's no, not good. So, shh. What is this game? It's um, basically a choose-your-own-adventure book. Yeah, you, you have this in the box, which is way too big for the game, in my opinion. Um, because you just have the book and some extra sheets and then these and um, you play it's a solo game so you can't play with multiple people you play as a dwarf whose name i actually forgot um and i mean simon yes. i'm seeing oh simon uh... and um and um, Diamond is a regular old dwarf um, uh, mercenary um, and uh, this isn't really a spoiler it's just what happens after the introduction where you learn the game um, basically in a, in a battle he gets hurt and returns home and at home things happen and um, then you are in the dwarven um, home city and land and um, it's kind of an open world game i'd say um, you have this uh, map it comes with these nice scratch off maps or at least one of them i think and um, where you can um, reveal the locations one after another and um, yeah, you read paragraphs, you make decisions, you go to different paragraphs, you roll dice for checks, etc. And yeah, it's a choose your own adventure style book with some role playing elements. I'd say um, you have your character sheet with some stats on it. Um, and combat, in combat you have these very nicely illustrated um, small combat sheets, uh, combat grids where you place your standees and um, fight it out against enemies. And um, that's basically it. That's what this game is about. I think important to know, it's not a role-playing game. And um, it has aspects of one, but um, in role-playing games, you start by creating your own character. Technically, you do the same here, but of your, let's see, uh, basically six stats um, four are fixed at the start and uh, two are your main stats dexterity and wisdom both have five points in them and you can distribute four additional points however you would like between those and that's that's it for the character creation that's the only decision you can make and um, that was actually kind of <laughs> when I started um, and then I mean dexterity is used for fighting mainly um, you know if you attack an enemy you roll your you roll a die and add it to your dexterity and the enemy rolls a die and adds it to their dexterity and then you compare it and see whoever is higher deals damage and wait um, that's that's almost exactly the kind of mechanic used in the fighting fantasy books Roll a dice, add your stat versus like roll. They roll their dice and add a stat. That's kind of interesting. 
yeah, it's, I mean, it's a very light game, to be honest. Um, combat, as I said, yeah, both characters, or your character and the enemy, both roll 1d6 at their dexterity, whoever rolls higher wins this uh, combat and then you calculate damage which is normally the difference but if you have like armor it reduces the damage you get if you have a weapon bonus it increases the damage you deal and and that's it if you do a uh, an ability test like during your uh, reading the story and then you have to make a check to see if you can do something you roll 2d6 add them together and if it's less or equal to your dexterity or wisdom um, whatever you roll against um, you succeed and um, that's like 90% of the game mechanics um, there are some special attacks um, like you can charge which means if you attack after you move two spaces um, you add one to your attack roll um, then flanking, if you are surrounded by two or more enemies, uh, they get a bonus, or well, no, you get a, uh, you, your dexterity gets lowered. Um, then you have this cunning strike, which is actually kind of interesting. Um, so if you would decide at the start that you put all your four free points in wisdom, um, making you was at combat you could decide to make cunning strikes and which means you make a check against your wisdom and if you succeed you deal free damage to the enemy if you fail you get free damage um, so if you have a high enough wisdom it might actually be worth it um, then there is push if you deal free damage in one go or more the enemy gets pushed two spaces back interesting together with a cunning strike which deals free damage um, and if you push push an enemy into an obstacle they gain an additional damage um, yeah and now we actually covered <laughs> yeah you you haven't said that the standees uh, look look cute I don't know what they are made of but they look cute um, there are two types of uh, standees. The regular ones are normal cardboard standees. And um, then at least through the Kickstarter, you could get um, acrylic standees. Um, I have them both. And honestly, it makes me wonder about all this hype around acrylic standees. I don't <laughs> know. I these are the first acrylic standees I got. And I don't know if they are comparably bad ones or if people are just weird that they <laughs> like these so much. Um, um, I The big thing for me is the acrylic standees that came in Vagrant Song are so characterful. The artwork on them is absolutely fantastic. Um, and... Uh, I really appreciated not not having another game that I felt obligated to paint. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, acrylic standees versus cardboard standees, where you also would have the artwork mm. on. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, for me, I'd say cardboard standees are the way to go most of the time because they are more environmentally conscientious, being made of trees. Um, it does help to... Uh, paint the edges of cardboard standees yeah the sharpie 
the Sharpie 3 Yeah, Sharpie yeah. them or black paint them, yeah. Um, it's the same with tokens. If you're willing to do it, when you edge the tokens, it makes a real difference as opposed to having exposed cardboard. Uh, but I mean, uh, to be honest, if somebody said to me, you can have cardboard standees or acrylic ones, um, I would probably pick the cardboard ones. Unless I'm going to play the game a lot. Yeah, I mean, actually, because of a lot of discussions online where people were so amazed by acrylic standees and um, I got them for this game because I thought, oh, yeah, they're really so nice. And now I'm sitting here and yeah, sure, I use them because I got them. And I would feel really stupid to not use them, but the cardboard ones. Um, but yeah, it's. I mean, the colors are a little bit more vibrant, but yeah, there, there's some glare, some a little bit more glare than on cardboard ones. And yeah, anyway, um, reflections, stuff like that. So. Um, Going off on a tangent there. Uh. No, 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 not at all. It's fine. Like components matter and uh, plastic in games is something we, you've got to, as a consumer think about, is it worth it or not? I just pulled up images of the two and um, I think, yeah, I think I'd be fine with cardboard ones for this. Yeah, especially um, I hadn't thought about it, but um I noticed one problem I had was when playing on my gaming table um, and looking like from up high down on it, I found it difficult to, to differentiate between them. And when I saw on Board Game Geek someone posting a picture where they took from the um, setup diagrams in the book, uh, made scans of the uh, pictures they used there to show where what, which enemy goes and created like flat tokens of them. And that's when I thought this is a really good idea, especially for such a game which has all the markings of like a, a really compact one. Um, if you just, you know, take the book, put your sheet and the battle grids on top of it and then just a layer of tokens and that's it um, which would make it really easier and easier to you know if you look down on it to to mm. you know, to, to differentiate everything so um, yeah it's it's a very good point and it's the old classic of um, miniatures only really matter when you've got terrain that can obscure parts of the miniature and you're trying to think about line of sight for shooting so like the old classic games workshop 1990s games miniatures really mattered because you'd look and be like is that game is that miniature 50 percent covered or is it like more than 50 percent covered uh etc etc um but if if you're not worrying about that actual level of physical representation yeah like tokens yeah there was this guy who made uh, the these these big coasters representing uh kingdom death uh miniatures as tokens uh the phoenix was impressive I, I think they are in the file section of of the KDM uh, forums uh, on Borgen Geek. I think you can download and print them on heavy cardboard. They are cool, but yes, it's an eternal struggle. People who get standees or miniatures want tokens. People with tokens makes miniatures, so there's actually not making everyone happy here. Yeah. So yeah. Um... Other things I don't like about this game. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can decide to put more points in dexterity or more in wisdom, but the problem is it's not like you have a lot of choice in what tests you will encounter. Uh, it's it's not like you usually have the choice to approach something in different ways or so. And then if you put all your points in wisdom and suddenly you have to make a dexterity check, it's just it just sucks and there's no way around it. The same way if it's if it if you did it the other way around. And the book actually recommends in your first game to just spread it evenly. And um yeah. Then um The, game, the, the character sheet is pretty simple. You have a picture of uh, your dwarf, you have uh, your different stats, you have an entry for gold, one for health, and the health bar, and then equipment, um, where you can write down equipment. Um, on the back side, you have a, a space for to, to draw your map. They actually recommend to draw a map but I got the scra this scratch-off map, so I decided I don't need to draw a map. And uh, the relevant story entries have a symbol um, on them, so you know which part of the map to scratch off. And then I, I already said it's like an open world thing. Um, so I just played and suddenly I encountered a, a story entry that basically said, if you did encounter this person before, do this. If not, do this. And I realized I should really take note of what I do. <laughs> <laughs> and th there was no warning in the game. So if you play this game, make notes of encounters you had, of people you found, of things you have or had. Um, it might be relevant. <laughs> You, you know, by, by your description, I would say that this is a game uh, like a roller-right game with the addition of a combat board. I, I begin to think this sounds a lot like two games that I rate very highly, um, which is Legacy of Dragonhold from Fantasy Flight Games, which does a choose-your-own-adventure for one to six players, um, and it's really good, and Roleplayer Adventures, which I think i probably talked about previously on here which again has a lot of that kind of stuff going on but has dice-based combat instead um but this sounds lighter and easier my big question um uh which I, i'm curious about it was there apart from being open worlds so you're kind of choosing where to go was there much feeling of a branching path-based decisions where like something you do would lock something off or change some occurrence anywhere <laughs> Another thing I don't like. <laughs> no, so um, I don't have this feeling of um, an epic story I've, I'm following. Yeah, it's it really feels like, hey, I'm this dwarf, one of I don't know how many hundreds or thousands, and um, I just encounter things and react to them and. Um, it starts with um, you getting a message of someone you uh, know from uh, before and um, who needs your help. And so I started traveling in that direction until I couldn't travel further because I encountered something which I couldn't pass at this moment. So I decided, okay, um, 
I'll just look around. So I started to look around and I got like some um, side quest and then I solved this and then I lost all my money due to a bad wisdom check um, leading to me having basically the same stats I had when I started and no money to buy equipment or anything. Um, so I tried another direction. Um, encountered some more interesting things and some enemies which were way too powerful for me to defeat without any equipment. So I was killed, but the game continued. It's um, another thing I don't like. Um, <laughs> like. I do like some type of randomness. Um, some, some amount of randomness. But I don't like when randomness gets decides important things in a way that it's like okay either it's great or i lose and um dying is actually one of those because the game isn't necessarily over if you die but it can be over and dying can actually be good weirdly enough so it's <sighs> mm. yeah um, but yeah, so um, I traveled north, didn't work, traveled, e uh, traveled west, didn't work, so then I traveled east, um, didn't work, um, and so now, um, now after I died the second time, I have no idea what to do because basically in every direction there is some enemy or encounter I can't defeat right now and I have no money to... Um, equipment and get better <laughs> the way you're describing it there it, it sounds a bit like the adventures of this unemployed dwarf he's like i went north and it didn't work and i went south and it didn't work i went east and it didn't work and and i've got no money and i can't do anything and i've been trapped by the system is this like a critique of capitalist society is this a post-capitalist society is that why he's a dwarf because dwarves are like the ultimate capitalists maybe maybe um I mean, I actually only found two ways to make money. One of those, you need money because it's like gambling. Um, and the other one, you can only do once in the game. It specifically says, says so. Yeah, you, you can take like a small job and earn some money and you can only do this once. I did it and then I gambled to get enough money to actually buy something and I lost it. So. Yeah. game. The world's most unfortunate dwarf. And it's really frustrating because every time there are many things where we're like, hey, um, yeah, you can buy this, but if you have this item, you can get it for free and just pay with this item. And I'm like, yeah, I don't have anything. I don't know where to get this item. <laughs> um, so uh, it is, uh, is this game a good uh, birthday present? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, as I said at the start, I kind of like this game. I enjoyed my time with it and I will definitely try it again. I don't think I will continue my current campaign. I just start new and try not to get robbed this time. 
Um, please, please do come back and like revisit it briefly in one of our like <laughs> opening chats once you've done for a second opinion. Because I, 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 I've, I've actually like entranced and amused by this concept of just absolute abject misery. This is this poor dwarf trudging around and unable to do anything. It's it, it sounds frustrating to play, but really funny as a concept. Yeah. Um, another thing which is actually more a more substantial criticism. The rules are quite vague sometimes it's um for example enemy movement the only thing you know from the rules about enemy movement is how many spaces they move nothing else and um that can lead to a lot of situations where you are like okay what now especially if suddenly you have some special rules in an encounter like hey if they the enemy is in this area they have reduced movement speed but then you have an enemy which moves through this area and you want to how how does it affect them now and some stuff stuff like that and um so i i feel like in a lot of cases in this game it's like the designer needed someone to to you know check the rules look for um ambiguity and clear things up it yeah, maybe the designer needed you uh, playing it so you could have ha- it reported this terrible experience and mean like look if i'm stuck and i've got no money and i can't fight anything and, and i'm in a terrible situation uh, sh- can is there somewhere I could go? Can I like retire in a in a little hovel and just have an ending where my miserable dwarf lives his miserable life on unemployment? I mean, the 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 really funny and frustrating thing is I actually no one way out of this misery, <laughs> which is dying. Um, <laughs> I as I told you, dying can mean the end of the game, but it can also mean good things. <laughs> <laughs> so I could try to die more and hope that it doesn't end the game um, which I, is weird I, I died well not so bad yeah hmm <laughs> that's like the old classic quote isn't it a curious game seems like the only way to win is not to play oh, this was the only way to win is to die <laughs> I love this game yeah so yeah I, I, I will start again now that i know some things um like where to go and where what is and i will 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 come back and uh, tell you about my renewed experience please do I, I hope it's one that on a second experience when you've had a little bit of like time to run in and fall over um all over the place repeatedly uh, then when you come back to it and you've got a little bit of knowledge that you can get things rolling and maybe send the snowball in the other direction. You'll probably come back and be like, oh, well, the problem with it now is I knew what to do. And it was just too easy. I ended up driving an M18 Abram tank through everything. I, you know, found that lying around and managed to make my roll to get it working. And all the enemies would just forget about it until I drove it into a swamp and it got stuck. Could be, could be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not all dwarves have tanks but yeah this game yeah, is this hilarious yeah. shouldn't have yeah warhammer dwarves have tanks 
or they could do is it empire has tanks whatever it doesn't matter um yeah it's it sounds fascinating um and it, it as i say it, it reminds me of a few games i've played and really enjoyed um and i've played a couple of the old uh, choose your own adventure games as well and it feels like you're talking about a designer who played those and really loves those where the only way to play them is to have your thumb in the book because when you make a decision and the game goes and you're dead and you're like how was I supposed to know this was going to kill me I, c- I could walk up the staircase or go through a door to the left I went through a door to the left and died oh that's my warning uh, the, the, the tomb of the basic D&D the one by Gary Gygax uh, the, the tomb the tomb of the eternal uh, something oh that, that, that's famous uh, you and oh, the yeah, tomb yeah yeah the horrible one with really sexist content yeah is it the temple of elemental evil um, or is it the t- tomb uh, or something? I, I think I it was a remake uh, Efka now I talked worries. about it Gary mm. Gygax Tomb of Horrors, yeah. The Tomb of Horrors, yes. Yes, that's right. Tomb of Horrors is is yeah, just terribly designed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Th- throw bodies at the problem until you find the one true path through. Yeah, not something I would ever want to play, except maybe as a computer game where you can save and reload. So, thumb in the book again. Yeah, it's no robot commando. Well, uh, that that I'm, the game sounds super fascinating, and maybe if I see it somewhere for cheap, I might pick it up and <laughs> as well. I definitely want to hear more about it in the future, and I hope your second time through uh, is a bit less frustrating. And if anyone very... wants to make a u- really useful community-created content or add-on for this game, it would be a list with like. Um, not really achievements but like encounters like like story uh, points that you could just check off yeah so that you <laughs> like hey you read story 119 and then you just check it off so um you, you can just you, you don't have to write everything down you just yeah that's something like that that would help yeah that's one of the nice things that both uh well legacy of dragon halt and role uh roleplay adventures and of course, sleeping gods all do is have a way of tracking that things have happened. Yeah, yeah, super cool. Um, well, that's uh, with that dwarven adventure. It means that rock and stone. We are out of time for this podcast. So thank you for listening to the last standee. You can catch us over at www.patreon.com forward slash the last standee, or follow us as the last standee on Twitter or subscribe in your preferred podcast app, or even, I believe, watch us on YouTube. Yeah. Or at least listen to us on YouTube. Yes. So it's farewell from Alessio. Bye. Kara. Auf Wiederhören. And myself, for Carl. And remember that the second E in Stand E is for Electro. Electro.